Hope y'all are doing well. I see that y'all are definitely the ones that got the notice. Maybe there'll be more people comes in a little bit later, but we're doing it a little bit different today, maybe even in the future, uh, for the, at least a month maybe, but definitely today, that we're going to start with the sermon, and all of the worship is going to be afterwards. And so uh, today we are baptizing someone in second service, so if you want to stick around for that, you can. You'll hear, to hear the sermon twice, um, <laughs> and, but we'll show her video her, uh, of her testimony during this service and, and next service as well. So I um, hope you'll stick around at least, uh, well, uh, maybe not, but uh, Emily is being baptized uh, from Dossie and Emily. I don't know if y'all know them, but uh, she has not been baptized, and so she's being baptized and will be joining as a member uh, very soon. So if you have a, a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We've been going through the book of Corinthians. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We've been going through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians for a while. And so um, we are in chapter 9 today. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read the text together. So uh, whenever we read the text together, we stand. Uh, it's a little bit lengthy. Uh, and if you're able to stand, we'd love for you to stand with us. And afterwards, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you'll say, thanks be to God. And this is all just reminding us that these are God's words, not our own. And therefore, since these are God's words, we want to and desire to submit ourselves under the authority of the word and be in, in, instructed by God's word. So let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that you would be with us now as we open up your word and that you would use your word to strengthen our hearts. Use your word to help us trust in the gospel more. God, I pray for myself that you would help me speak clearly, and that all the things I say would be true, and that you would do your promised work. We know that your word never returns void. We know that your word promises to do so many things in our lives, and that you would be faithful to remove me more out of the way and insert yourself here as the one who is in charge and the one who instructs the one who convicts, but also the one who shows amazing compassion. And so would you be with us now as we look into your word? We pray that the challenges we see from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 would be things that we would take up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're willing to stand, let's, let's stand together and read 1 Corinthians 9. It is a little bit lengthy, uh, then we'll look through it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Or do the other apostles or the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written <coughs> in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything 
rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do not do this of my own will, I have a reward. But not of my own will, I am still trusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So if you notice in chapter 9, verse 1, Paul launches into some rhetorical questions. And this is picking up from chapter 8. There's no chapter-verse divisions uh, in the Bible when Paul wrote. So he's finishing his argument about food sacrifice to idols and wants to continue making that point in chapter 9. And so he launches into these rhetorical questions in verse 1, all of which must be answered in the affirmative or his apostleship is worth nothing. Am I not free? Am I not apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Uh, If to others I am not apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So he he uses these rhetorical questions and points to the fact that he led them to Christ while he was there, so he must be a true apostle. And so as he launches into these questions, which must be be yes, he's wanting to help them understand that uh, he is a true apostle, and therefore since he is a true apostle, he has absolute authority to speak and say the things that he's going to say to them. That's, that's kind of the big idea of as he's launching into helping them understand that they need to, as we saw in verse 8, uh, for the sake of the weaker brother, not eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And he has the right to say this. Their, their kind of argument back to him might be, you don't have the authority to say these things since when you were here, you're not like the rest of the apostles. While you were here, you could have been paid and you didn't get paid like the rest of the people, like the real apostles. So you're kind of a fake apostle since you decided not to uh, get paid while you were here. And so he's wanting to reestablish and make sure they understand his authority. Now, uh, there's really two big points in chapter 9 that I want us to look at. And it's these two big points, which we're going to get to in a minute. I want, there's a little bit of an intro. Uh, are, are two changes that we can make in our life for the sake of the gospel. 
It's two changes. So this is clearly towards Christians. Two co- changes that Christians can make in their lives for the sake of the gospel. Now, the for the sake of the gospel comes straight from verse 23, when he says, I do it for the sake of the gospel. And when we see that, let's just make sure we all understand that uh, he is not prioritizing or making of first importance the gospel of Jesus over Jesus. So Jesus certainly is more important. He's, he's using it as, as a shorthand to say, for the sake of the good news about what Jesus has done for us, because it's all about Jesus. So when he, we say for the sake of the gospel, when there's two changes you need to make in your life for the sake of the gospel, this is meaning two changes you need to make because Jesus died for you, because Jesus is your Savior. These are two things that you can do in your life, uh, which will radically change the way that you live your life. Now, here's the way I want to introduce what we're looking at so we can make sure we're wrapping our mind around exactly what's going on. Uh, we're going to come back to this in the second part of the sermon, but I want to start with this. In verses 19 through 23, 22, Paul has a, a reoccurring word. I want you to notice it. For though I am, it's the word win. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant that I might win more of them. Verse 20, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. You can see towards the end of that uh, where he says, to those under the law I became under the law that I might win those under the law. And you can see it again. In verse, the end of verse 21, I might win those outside the law. In verse 22, I might, I, to the weak I became weak in order I might win the weak. So there's this reoccurring word, win, 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 five times. And then he's going to explain exactly what he means by winning them whenever we see in verse 20, the end of 22. Uh, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now, Paul is not thinking that he's a deity and that he saves. He's just using a quick hand language to say he knows that God saves, but God's using him to proclaim the gospel. And when God saves them, he, he's saying that I might save them, but he knows that God's saving them. But the whole point is not that. It's the larger thing, which he says that I might save them. So when he's saying win, 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 he's wanting to save them. He wants God to save them. Say, save them from what is the question that we can ask there. Save them from what? Romans 5, 9 uh, maybe one of the clearer texts helps us to understand what it means to be saved from. Since, therefore, we have been justified by, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so Paul wants to be used by God to proclaim the gospel to unbelievers so that then when they trust in God, when they trust in Christ and what he's done, they're saved from the wrath of God. The wrath of God is what... Uh, lays on top of every single person that is not a believer, and it's a huge deal. It's an absolute huge deal. Piper, uh, looking at this, writes this. The question that presses itself on me here is this. It is one of the reasons that we make as little effort as we do in winning others. It is is the one reason that we make as little effort as we do in winning others, the fact that we don't believe that the wrath of God is coming. For many today, the good news of Jesus is conceived most entirely as another strategy. So the gospel, he's saying, is just used as another strategy rather than the only thing. Another strategy to help people handle their psychological needs, depression, grief, abandonment, loneliness, anger, low self-esteem, fear. Everyone we know, including ourselves, deals with these particular things. I'll repeat them so we can hear them. Psychological needs, depression, grief, abandonment, loneliness, anger, low self-esteem, fear, and what he's saying is the church largely, and maybe even us, but certainly American Christians, don't use the gospel as the preeminent most important thing in, the life that, in our life that saves us from the wrath of God. Instead, the gospel is just a strategy to, to help us uh, handle 
these psychological needs of depression, grief, abandonment, loneliness, anger, self-esteem. And the gospel does have an impact on those things. And this is what he says. This is where it's amazing. But that is not what makes it the gospel. That's not what makes it the good news, that it helps you handle those things. Instead, if the gospel did not touch any of those things in this life, it would still be unspeakably good news. Unspeakably good news. And then he asked the question, do you believe that? But the gospel isn't primarily about helping us handle our situations in life of depression, grief, abandonment. Instead, the gospel is primarily about saving us from the wrath of God that's on us. This is what makes the gospel great news, is that we have been acquitted in the courtroom of God. We've been acquitted in the courtroom of God. So let's let that truth, as we're looking at 1 Corinthians 9, be the thing that gives us our bearings as we venture forth in 1 Corinthians 9 when we think about laying down our lives for the sake of the gospel. When we're told to change things in our lives for the sake of the gospel, let's remember that the gospel didn't come to you and it didn't come to me just to help us deal with anxiety or fear or depression. It may do that, but even if it never did and saved you from the wrath of God, it's unspeakably great news. So, as we look at this text, let's let that truth be the thing that pushes us into uh, understanding these two major changes that we can make in our life for the sake of the gospel. Um, David Platt says that we can do this. We can get so caught up in the daily routine of living, going to work, paying the bills, taking care of your kids, whatever you have to do, going to the games, whatever. He said we can get so caught up in the daily routine of living that we actually miss out on the ultimate reason for life. The ultimate reason for life. So these two changes that we're going to talk about point us to uh, what would be the ultimate reason for life. It, and it rightly, I think, points us away from the daily routine that we can catch ourselves in of living where we end up day in, day out, really just largely living our lives around ourselves rather than the glory of Christ and telling people about Jesus. Um, so what we'll see here as we're going through here is two major changes that we can make. The first one is in the first half of chapter 9, uh, 1 through 18. The second one is in the second half of chapter 9, 19 through 27. So the first one, you can go ahead and put it up. The first change that we can make comes from uh, verses 1 through 18. It's let's relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel. Let's relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel. We'll see the word right or rights uh, seven times in those first 18 verses. Uh, he'll say it in four, five, six, twice in 12 and 15. And so Paul's trying to help us understand that there's a need as a believer, not just a Pauline, a believer, who's, you know, one of the heads of the church and laying down his life like, like but all of us, there's a need for all of us to lay down our life like Paul. Now, you can and I can say, okay, these two changes that Paul's telling us to make in our life, uh, he's actually describing his life. So is it something that we're supposed to do, or is it just Paul kind of describing the narrative of the way that he lived his life as a missionary, and he's not necessarily telling us we have to do it? Well, I would point you to 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So as he's describing the narrative, 
in these two major changes he makes, of the way that he lives his life as a, as a follower of Christ, he is most certainly telling us, you should do these things as well. Not just me, because he's Paul the super apostle, right? He wrote half the New Testament. But instead, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So the first thing that we need to be able to do is relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel. Relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel. He's pointing back to 1 Corinthians 8 as he's telling them the same idea that instead of clinging to your right to eat food, you need to think of others and think of what's best for them. And here, he's going to talk about three things that he's given up. So he does this in uh, verses 4 through 6. Let's, let's read down, and starting at 3. This is my defense for those who would examine me. And then he lists kind of three rights here that he's given up. Three rights that he's given up. And then that third right that he's given up, he's going to give a long description of that right. And verses uh, really 4 down to about 14. He's going to give kind of a long description of that, of that right. Let's look at those three. You can see them. Uh, do we not have the right to eat and drink? That's one of the first rights that Paul's saying as a missionary that he's given up the right to eat and drink. It is pointing, I think, to 1 Corinthians 8, but it, it could be pointing to more. Um, and then you can see the second right. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the other brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And so this is another right that he's given up, to be able to take on a believing wife. This, this could be pointing back to 1 Corinthians 7, but it could just be in a larger context. He's saying this is another thing that I've done. Uh, and then also, you can see in verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So the third right he gave up is to be paid as an apostle. He has a right to be paid as an apostle uh, as he's ministering to them, but he said that he gave up that right. So the main thing I want you to look on, we're going we're gonna to exegete this little text under, underneath, but it's really, uh, as we look at this, his description about uh, the third right that Paul gave up, which is being paid, and how that relates to paying ministers. The, that's not the main point as much as the main point is Paul was willing to give up rights. Now, he goes into the third one about not being paid because that was kind of the, the Corinthian charge. Like, you gave up your right to be paid, and so since you gave up your right to pay, be paid, you're not a real authority. And so he's going to basically say, yeah, I gave up my right to be paid, but I had full right to be paid, but I just chose not to. So you should listen to me. <laughs> That's basically what he says. Um, but here's, here's kind of uh, the way he explains it in verses 6, uh, almost down to 18, but really 15 through 18, I think, is more of a concluding. So in 6 through... Um, in 6 through 14, he has five things that he tells them about why a minister can be supporting, should be supported by their church. So let's just, let's just you know, address the elephant in the room. This is awkward, right? So I'm telling you five reasons why you should, as a church, support me, which you've always done. So uh, I'm just, I'm teaching you the Bible, and that's my job. I don't think you disagree with me. Uh, you clearly don't because you come back week by week, and you, you give to the church, and you let me be paid by the church. So the only thing I can, I can go ahead and give the application before I give the five things. And thank you. Uh, that's the application is me saying thank you to you that you have supported me for eight years and let me plant a church and Jordan and, and, and other people. And so some things we need to know here as we're going in. And I've already kind of described when Paul went to Corinth, he didn't receive any money there. He had a right to, but he didn't receive any money from him. Blomberg asserts that the Corinthian church wanted to pay Paul, uh, but it it came with ill motives. That's why he didn't do it. Uh, he, they wanted to pay him, but he wouldn't accept it because accepting it would come at this price where they would be able to hold it over his head and then he, they, he'd have to, he would have to do what they wanted and it would 
come with a little bit of a, uh, they'd have to, he would have to give them some political support in, in ways. And so he declined their money and instead decided to make tents. And thus, whenever he decided to decline the money and said no, they decided to use that against him. Uh, when he should have just accepted it, no, because he, he knew that it came with a price. And so when he didn't do it, they still used that against him. You didn't accept this and accept our money. And they started telling everyone, Paul doesn't have the same authority as, as all the other apostles because he didn't accept our money. So it was, it was really a catch-22 for him, uh, like the other apostles and preachers. So Paul's writing them to say, I could have taken your money. I had every right to take your money. You should have paid me, but I didn't want to take your money because uh, I wanted to secure my own conscience, my own, my own standing morally, and um, I wanted to make my... I'm writing now so that you understand my apostolic authority is actually secure. So... Here's the five reasons he gives them right there. And I'm going to run through these fast because I'm not sure that you disagree with any of these, but they're right there in the text. Five reasons why a minister should receive money from a, a church that he works at. The first one is just that it's common practice. You can see in verses um, 7 and 8, there's three little illustrations. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? No one. Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? No one. Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Everyone does that. Um, so, so he's telling us right there, and, and even in verse 8, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say that the same? So it's just common practice, and he uses those three illustrations to understand that whenever you're doing this as a minister, you also partake of some of the money that's being given in order to support your family. Not extravagantly, certainly, um, but, but you do receive some. You can also see the second argument he makes is that there's biblical precedent for it in verse 9. For it is written the law of Mo- for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. So an ox would go in and you know tear up the ground, and they're saying you don't put a muzzle on him when he tears up the grain. You, you take that off. So while he's tearing it up and he's working really hard to make sure the ground's torn up, that he can de- reach down there and eat, get a little bit more strength, keep going. Same kind of thing. He relates it to uh, the church where um, Paul could have done that. He was there for a year and a half, but he certainly decided not to. Uh, the third thing is that there's a, there's a universal pattern or kind of intrinsic justice in this. You can see it in verses 10 and 11. Uh, does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? So if we've worked hard, it's kind of a, a justice thing. If we've worked hard at here, uh, some of the money that's collected should go to help support me and then the rest for ministry. Um, and so he, he's going to stop in those first three and make sure that they understand why he's doing this. He says, um, if others share in this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather. Here's why I didn't take your money. He tells them again in verse 12. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. And so he's relinquishing his rights. He didn't want to put any kind of obstacle in the way with the Corinthian church. And so he relinquished his rights to be paid uh, in order to let the gospel go forth. The other two, you can see them right there in the next set of verses. The first one is in verse 13. It was actually Jewish custom. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service to get food from the temple and those who serve at the altar also share in the sacrificial offerings? This happened in the Old Testament. Uh, And then the last one, there's the command of Jesus. So if all those first four don't actually make you uh, believe that a minister should be paid, Jesus also commanded it. You can see it in verse 14. In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That's pretty straightforward, uh, easy to understand. And then he finishes here um, in a little bit of a concluding statements in 15 through 18 by saying, But I have made no use of any of these rights, 
No more writing these things to secure any such provision. I, I, I don't even want it still. I would rather, this, this is a, uh, in English, it's been smoothed out for us, but it's actually like uh, a, 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 an exclamation, and he actually was saying a sentence and kind of stops and then just says something else. He's, he says, I would rather die than, I want to boast. <laughs> this is kind of how he does it. But he says, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So he, the English smoothed it out for us, but Paul was writing kind of vehement right there, and he just didn't know what to say, so he just said, I can boast. And this boasting is not in a, in a sinful sense. Blomberg says the boast carries a sense of an appropriate pride in what the Lord has done. And so he says, I would rather die than anyone deprive me of my, boast for gr- my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have my own reward not of my own, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. So here, here's the basic uh, thing that he's saying to kind of conclude what he's trying to say. He's saying that uh, my pay, you didn't give me any pay. Here was my actual pay. My pay was that I was totally free while I was in the city of Corinth ministering from any kind of human impositions to ministry. I was able to do how I wanted to do it, the way the Lord led me to do it. That was my pay, is that you, you held nothing over me. And that, that was good for me. That was the way I wanted it to be. And so, uh, in Paul's mind, just as the gospel is free for you to receive, my gospel work in Corinth was also free. So, if we're looking at that and we're saying, um, the whole big picture thing that Paul's telling us in verses 1 through 18 is that he was willing to lay down his rights for the sake of the gospel. I think the main thing that he's telling us as believers in Christ in all different stations of life from um, college students to stay-at-home moms to uh, working hard and, and uh, hardly ever at home or whatever, all kinds of different stations in life. Uh, he's telling you, you're still a believer in Christ. You've still been saved away from the wrath of God. And so since that's the case, what, what kind of ways can you in your life uh, relinquish your rights for the sake of the gospel in everyday life. As a missionary, because we're all missionaries, in everyday life, how can you live in such a way where you're not going to hold on to your rights, but instead you'll let go of those rights in order for the gospel to go forward? Now, if you're racking your brain saying, I don't know, I'm not sure. I mean, no one really sacrifices food to idols anymore. I was here last week when Joe said that, so I'm willing to do that, but where's that happen? I don't know. At the skating rink? I mean, who knows what? I, um, that just popped in my head, I don't know why. So, like, we're wondering, uh, what does that mean? How does that work? How do, what does that look like in real life? Um, I want to read a, a David Platt quote, and I think that this can help us. I think this gives us a little bit more practical understanding of what it might mean. Follower of Jesus, you have a right in your city and in the world to live uh, around you, to, to, to have life, friends, marriage, family, safety, security, health, and happiness. You have a right to all these things. You have a right to eat, drink, watch, wear, read, study, listen to, and say whatever you want. You have the right to organize your schedule, spend your time, choose your career, make your money, use your money, take your vacation, and plan your retirement. In the end, you have a right to do what you want to do, go where you want to go, and live how you want to live. And when we cling to our rights, this text is important for us to understand because following uh, because a follower of Jesus the cross should compel us 
to surrender our rights for the sake of the gospel in our city and the world around us. So we have a right to all those things. But how in your heart and in your soul and in your mind are you clinging to any of those things I just listed out too much in that it might keep you away from being a proper minister? Martin Luther talks about... uh, talks about the paradox of being free and yet also being a slave. He says it this way, a Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is perfectly dutiful servant of all and subject to all. And so as we hear the application, what rights are we willing to get rid of? We can lean to the first side of Luther and say, a Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to none. I can do whatever I want, I'm totally free. But he's also calling us And as believers in Christ, to remember the second side of a Christian is perfectly dutiful servant to all, and he's subject to all people. And so how in your life can you apply this in your own life? What are the things of that huge list, marriage, family, safety, security, health, happiness, eating, drinking, watching, wearing, reading, studying, listening to, uh, organizing your schedule, spending your time, choosing your career, making your money, having your money, taking your vacation, planning your retirement, or any other things that you can think of, are you clinging to as more important than the mission of Christ? Let's relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel, because we truly are servants of all. We'll see this here in this next uh, section. So that was the first one. Now, before we go into the second one, let's just do this. All right, let's all for a second before we get into, because this next point will have four subpoints, um, but there's only going to be one on the screen because I didn't want to overload you with points. You're like, dude, you've got so many. All right, so let's do this for a second, though, because uh, as I was reading this and as I really started trying to apply it to my life, I, I immediately, my brain started making excuses about why those things can't happen for me right now. Too many kids got too busy. They got to do these things. There's no time. How can I do that? That's not possible wife's pregnant now, I gotta, that, that takes a whole lot of time now. Like, so there's all kinds of things that I can, start, uh, I can start making excuses. So let's all just right now, let's just promise ourselves, and, and I'm doing this with me right now too, let's all erase any inclination to be defensive about what we're going to hear and why it doesn't work for us right now. And explain it to our hearts and minds that this Pauline lifestyle that he's calling us, uh, let's take away the idea that it won't work for us, and it won't work for us in our present day situation. Let's let the text... Be the text and let it do its hard, refining, difficult, probing, prodding, convicting work. Let's just not be defensive as we look at it and let's just let the text be the text. Um, because I, I, I believe that it's difficult. So let's stop right now and if you, need, if you need to pray, close your eyes right now and say, God, take away any impulse I have right now uh, to hold on to comfort and wants, to hold on my own hopes and dreams and let God have carte blanche. That's uh, complete freedom to act the way he wants. Let God have that. I want you to hear what Paul is telling us here about the way this second change we can make in our lives. It comes in 19 through 27. Point number two, second change. You go ahead and put it up. Change number two. Let's retool our lives for the sake of the gospel. When I say retool, I mean reorganize something to make it more efficient. Let's reorganize our lives to make it more efficient for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of us spreading the gospel. So let's look at how that can happen. There's four things that he's going to tell us here, and I'll, I'll run through these quickly. The first one is this. 
This is a mindset. For though I am free from all, I have, watch this, made myself a servant to all. I have chosen to subordinate myself to people around me. I'm willingly choosing to become their servant, their slave, to subordinate myself, to submit myself to other people. So the first thing is, this won't be on the screen, the first thing is in retooling our lives, you must willingly choose to subordinate yourself to other people. Make yourself someone else's servant. Um, Philippians 2.3, count others more significant than yourself. This is counterintuitive, but what the scripture is teaching us is by choosing to be a slave, we're actually choosing to be free. By choosing to be a slave, we're choosing to be free. Who does this easily? No one. No one does this easily. All right? But what, is, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does it mean when you say, when the scripture says, subordinate yourself to other people? I think it means this. It means figure out how to make yourself dependent on someone else in, in, in some kind of way. Make yourself dependent. You need them in your life. Don't make it your family, because that's easy, right? I need my, my wife. I need my kids. Figure out how people in your life that don't know Jesus, how you can need them, and then put yourself around them for that need so that you're around them so that you can serve them, and they can serve you, and then you have more opportunities to be able to share the gospel with them. You must willingly, as he says, I have become a servant to all so that, I mean, we know the point, that I might win more of them. He wants to win them. Now, the second thing we can do is in verses 20, that was 19. 20 through 22 tells us the second thing we can do when we're talking about retooling our life. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. Now we're talking about Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as those outside the law to win those. To those that are weak, I became weak so, that I, become, so I can win the weak. I become all things to all people that I might save them. So... You can see that there's multiple different people that he's willing to go around. Those that are Jews, those that are Gentiles, those that are outside the law, those that are inside the law, those that are under the law, all kinds of people. So the first thing that we can see as we're looking at the second part is that there should be no exclusion of anybody from your gospel proclamation. Whoever it is, Jew, Gentile, whatever station in life they are, uh, whatever race they are, whatever they are, it doesn't matter, right? There's no exclusion from your gospel proclamation to people. Paul just listed basically anybody we can think of that's a human, that has a heartbeat, I'm going to tell them about the gospel. So don't pigeonhole yourself too much, right? He wants you to proclaim it. But as you're doing that, notice what he, de- what he says. He's talking about these people, and then he says how he does it. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those outside the law, I became as those outside the law. To those, now, we've got to be careful here. I want to make sure I point out something. Uh, to those under the law, I came as those under the law. When he says, I have become all things to all people, he doesn't include uh, breaking the law, God's law. So he's not, so like the murderers, I became a murderer to win the murderers. Like, that's not what he's saying, right? He, he's not saying the clear things that are wrong that you become. But anything that's gray or fine, not sinful, he's willing to say, I can do that. So um, we lay aside obstacles and we, we to, to become like any person. And as we're doing that, we do not exclude any of those people from our gospel proclamation. We're willing to do that. And as we're doing that, we remember the laying aside of the obstacles is not laying aside the offense of the gospel. So we still proclaim the gospel. The gospel is offensive. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16. It's, it's the aroma of death 
to those who are perishing. That's not great. But the exact same words is the aroma of life to those who are being saved. So we don't, we don't change the gospel whenever we proclaim it. But we do uh, lay aside obstacles. So anything that, that goes back up to the first thing, anything that we're holding on to as a right, we don't hold on to those things in order to win. If there's an obstacle for a Jew or a Gentile or a weaker brother, Paul is willing to lay aside, or a weaker brother, or I said that, he's willing to lay aside any of those things in order to win them. So lay aside obstacles and exclude no one from gospel proclamation. That's another way you can retool. You need to subordinate yourself to people, willing to be, be willing to be a servant, and you also need to lay aside obstacles and exclude no one from your gospel proclamation. You don't pigeonhole who it is you tell the people about. So there's discipline needed for that. There's spiritual discipline, like you're either a very disciplined person or not, right? You can, you can get up early, you can do, get things done, you got your checklist done by 9 a.m., and the rest of us who are not that way are, 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 are mad at you and jealous of you and act like we don't care, but we really do, right? Um, that's not me. It, oh, I wish it was me. So um, <laughs> you need some discipline. And so he's going to explain how discipline can look, right? I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And then he's going to help us understand um, this, these uh, illustrations. So let's understand when he says, I do it all, or 22 and 23, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I, by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Um, what he's doing here is he's changing his present day lifestyle. I have become all things to all people that I might win some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. When he's looking at his lifestyle, he's willing to change his lifestyle in order to share the gospel with more people. So the third way you're going to have to retool your life to do this is you need to change your present day lifestyle when needed. When needed. If, you if God's not telling you to do that, don't. But you need to change your present day lifestyle in order to share the gospel with more people. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm already making excuses and I'm already thinking how it doesn't work for me. And, and, and I'm asking myself, why don't I feel like doing this? Well, um, I think it's this. Ultimately, I think it's this. It's because there's moments in my heart and there's moments in my life and there's moments in my day and there's moments in my week where I don't understand the fullness of the gospel. Where the, the conversion that God has given me has not created a gospel compulsion, and it should. Because I've been saved, I should feel compelled to want to do that. But because I'm selfish, whenever I think about doing that, I don't think of what God's done for me. I just think of why it's too hard. And so I have to change my mind. We have to change our minds to remind ourselves of what Christ has done. And when we remember the great conversion that we've been given, then comes the gospel compulsion to share the gospel. So for Paul, there is no disconnect from salvation and mission. In my own mind, and maybe in yours, there is sometimes a disconnect from salvation and mission. And sometimes we, 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 were, we do disconnect the fact that we've been saved, and that should be the impetus or the catalyst for actually leading us to mission. But let's ask this question. When we change our present day life uh, for the sake of the gospel, when needed, here's the way I think that you can ask this question if you're going to be obedient to this. What's the best way for me to live my life in order for me to spread the gospel in Rock Hill? What's the best way? Think outside the box. Think, think tough. Think, man, that's, that's tough, but that is the way. What's the best way for me to live in order to spread the gospel in Rock Hill? And then do that then obey that. That's what I mean by retooling your life. That's what I mean changing your present day lifestyle 
to share the gospel with more people. And it takes discipline. This is what Paul is going to say in verses 24 through 27. He's using some illustrations, but he's helping us understand the discipline. Do you not know that in a race, all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? Not today. I know everybody gets a, you know, a certificate, but back then, somebody won. Except we still do it in the Olympics, praise God. Um, so anyway, um, so, so right, imagine like everybody gets up there and wins in the Olympics, and we play everybody's national anthem. It would be one of them. Anyway, because um, the national anthem so long. So anyway, do you not know that in a race, all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So there's the first one. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They have to discipline. They do it to receive the peris- a reperishable wreath. So we, an imperishable, if, if you run a race in order to receive, you know, the gold medal or whatever it is that you receive, how much more should you want to receive the imperishable wreath of eternal life? And so he's going to use a second illustration about a boxer. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I don't fight no one like an insane person. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. I like the footnote of this more. I've always just kind of liked the footnote of 27 more. You can see it down. I pummel my body and make it my slave. I feel like I pummel my body and make it my slave. Has more oomph than I discipline my body and keep it under control. I pummel my body and make it my slave. So we we can already feel the intensity of discipline that Paul's calling us towards. Now these are just illustrations. I'm not saying you need to be a runner or a boxer. We're taking those illustrations and we're going to apply that amazing level of discipline to what he's actually calling us to do. I discipline my body or I pummel my body and make it my slave, lest after preaching I should disqualify myself. So what he's telling us here is that discipline's needed. So the fourth way you retool is this. This is what I think he's saying. Bringing that intensity into what he's telling us is that we are to discipline our body for mission. We are to discipline our mind for mission. And here's the hardest one. We're to discipline our schedule for mission. We discipline our body, our mind, and our schedule for the sake of gospel sharing. We should think far more strategically about donating our schedule, even our family things, which are good things, important to Jesus. He, we're, we're called to be good husbands and dads, called to be good moms and wives. But we should even prioritize our schedule, which is still important, also to Jesus and his mission in spreading the word. And Paul is helping us see that by using those two illustrations of the runner and the boxer. So here's some questions. These are for me, but you can listen in to these questions, and I think that maybe we can all be edified. So here's some questions when we're talking about disciplining our body, disciplining our mind, and disciplining our schedule for the sake of gospel sharing. Is our schedule devoted to us or to Jesus more? Which one? Count up the hours. Are we calling, are we willing to stop having personal time and family time, some of it, not all of it, uh, and, and give some to Jesus? Can we pummel our body and make it our slave rather than our body and our mind pummel us and make us its slave? What about your body and what about your mind needs to be devoted to the mission? Can you train your mind to focus on the mission? This is me asking my question. Can you train your mind to focus on the mission more than me? Can I train my mind to focus on the mission more than I can train my mind to just focus on me? That's hard. Here's an idea. I thought I would give an application. What if every one of us tithed our Saturdays to Jesus? We get 52 a year. What if we gave five a year to Jesus? What if we tithed our Saturdays? We give him five out of 52, and we devote those five out of 52 for total gospel sharing. You take your family, you go by yourself, you take your community group, it doesn't matter, right? You you decide that. Jesus isn't a legalist. You get 47 to yourself. 
47. But what if we tied our Saturdays to Jesus and we took those five and we looked at our schedule over the entire year. We picked those five Saturdays in the future because, you know, we, can, we have to plan it or else we can't do it. And we say those days are going to be for Jesus and gospel share. I'm going to tithe five Saturdays to Jesus. What if we did that? These are just some questions I thought. And that's why I started off with by saying, before I say these things, let's just stop and take away any impulse of why that won't work. Let's just stop and say, oh, I can't work from home. Remove those things and just say, let's hear the word. Let's see what it says. Let's see if we believe what he's saying. And then let's apply those things. I want to conclude by quoting Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. And I think that this is a good verse for us to apply to this text as we're looking at. He says, but I don't account my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let me read it one more time so we hear it. Because these things are hard. These things are really hard. And I think Acts 20.24 gives us the right mindset on how to think about these things. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only, this is what he wants to do, I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for texts like this, even though they're hard. Because as we started out with this amazing gospel reminder, we're free. We are free. If we don't do any of these things, we're your son and daughter forever. Forever. And nothing changes that. And so we thank you for that. And so impulses, desires, convictions, beginnings to do these things for all of us cannot be motivated out of guilt, but have to be motivated out of grace. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work on all of our hearts right now as we think about these things. And that we would not feel guilty, and therefore we have to do these things. May no one do any of these things because they feel guilty. But because we're free, because you have saved us from the wrath of God. And we cannot get over that. We want to. We're motivated by unbelievable grace. We want to do these things. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, so that more people come to know you. We pray for your help. We absolutely have to have it. Fill us with the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.